and welcome to Underground Ramblings. I'm Gwen. And I'm Nadia. And today we are talking to two cavers who are not what we typically imagine when we think of who a caver is. With us today, we have Judith Plowman, who started caving at age 70 with her son, Tim, and the caving crew. Judith has since fallen in love with the sport. We also have Naseeba Azari, who started caving at the University of Leeds when she came from Saudi Arabia. Naseeba had little outdoor experience, but despite this, she jumped right in and battled her fears. We brought these two inspiring women together to talk a little bit about their experiences starting caving and celebrate their achievements. This was our first group interview made extra challenging having recorded it from three different countries with three very different time zones. We hope you enjoy and let's get into it. Hello everyone. Uh, thank you, Judith and Saba, for joining us today. So I'm going to start with you, Judith. Could you just give us like a brief introduction about yourself um, so that everyone can get to know you a little bit better? Well, um, I'm 72. I've started almost anything that's exciting rather late in my life. I'm married and I've got three children and a, a lovely tribe of grandchildren. But I didn't start doing sort of the things that, that make me happy until I was about 40 when I started doing folk dance, then Morris dancing when I was 50, then some more um, international plasma dance when I was 60, and then got climbing when I was about 67 and got into caving when I was 70. So talk about late, but on the other hand, these are all wonderful things and they've just so enhanced my life. It's brilliant. It's really unusual, I think, for people to start um, things like climbing and caving at, you know, your age. What made you want to start caving? What made me start to want? Well, it had been a thing in my wishing list for, well, since a child. My father had equally had a wish to go caving. Um, he had done a tiny bit in the 40s. I dread to think now what it was actually like. Um, but family and poverty and living in the south of England, caving just couldn't happen. So we had a holiday when I was about 11 and we went and in the Yorkshire Dales and I went down Yordas, which was scary and wonderful at the same time, because doing it with candles, you can see so very, very little of what you're actually walking into. Um, and it was, yes, scary and exciting. And then when I was about... 13 we went to Somerset and I went down Goat Church and actually it turned out I was running a fever of about 102 or three and again caving with a fever and a candle in a very rocky cave I was hallucinating each time I saw these great gaps shadows and was gibbering with fear and this was a Sunday afternoon and there were other cavers in the cave and I can just remember these like very uh, well, astounded expressions on people that, that this family was dragging this screaming child along through this cave. Um, but it didn't put me off. It just didn't give me an opportunity. And not going to university, the one way which seems to be so many people's ladder into caving never came my way. So um, just it took until I got young Tim the son, doing exciting things and talking about how, oh, he'd taken some friend caving and after about 15 minutes, she'd had enough. And I was thinking, 
after 15 minutes, I'm sure I'd enjoy more of it than that. Can I, can't I go? And so bullied him into, um, yes, and I'm trying to think what we did. Um, probably not too, I think. And I loved it. And it was just, what, go on, want to do more, please. So, yeah, uh, I love caving. I love caving. I love caving. You have a long history of caving, but you've only come into it now. Yes, absolutely. It's been hanging on the edges, tantalising me. I mean, you know, going down White Star um, Caves over in Ingleton, you know, and you come out and you say, how, to the guide who sort of says, you know, if you want to get into caving, how do we get into caving? Well, until there was the internet, there really was nothing really that could connect you. They would say, oh, why not get in touch with your local caving club? In Hertfordshire? Come on. You know, they, they just... It just didn't exist like that. It was Southern England. You couldn't do those kind of moves. So we also have Naseba here with us. Naseba, do you mind uh, giving us a brief introduction about yourself? I moved to the UK for uni, uh, specifically to leave uni and towards my, I'm assuming second or third year in, the, in Leeds, I, was looking at different um, clubs and societies and I saw the caving one and I had no idea what that was. I wanted to do more outdoor stuff while I was in the UK because it was much more accessible. And uh, what, what made you stay? The community was really nice. Uh, they, were, they were very accepting. And also on that first trip, I had no idea what caving, like I still didn't know what caving was. I had no idea what we were going to do. So I was really, as we kept moving around, I was like, okay, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And then I went to the ground and was like, wait, what? I had no idea what you were doing. And so um, I felt like I was not prepared in any way, like mentally. So I didn't make the most of it for me. So I wanted to continue doing it just to get better at it. And that's one of the main reasons why I stayed, because I just wanted to get over the fear and also get over just being not very good. And I just experience it more fully. Right. Okay. So that's interesting. And when when you did join caving, I was around at that time, and you didn't have very much uh, experience in sort of any outdoor activities, or at least not um, in the context of like the UK environment. Um, was confidence an issue when you started caving? When I first started, I don't think so, just because I had no idea. Like, there wasn't anything to, like, hype myself myself up for. Because genuinely, like, when I went there, there was zero idea of what's going to happen. But on the way to the cave is when I was like, okay, maybe I'm not feeling as like, confident about it. Uh, just because I realized that everyone was much fitter than me. And, I, I, like, they kept going faster. I'm like, it's tough to catch up and that's when I was like maybe not as confident but it, it wasn't like before like the moment I was there is when that lack of confidence started showing up but before that there wasn't much and did uh confidence play in a role when you continued caving moving on from like the first few experiences yeah mainly it was I don't think it's as much of comp maybe maybe confidence comes of comparison because I was very aware that out of the like whenever it would go on a trip I knew that I would be like the least fit out of the group 
and because of that there was a part of me that was like I have to overcompensate or at least I have to like not show it even though I still showed it but like there was a part of me that didn't want to appear aware or something I don't know yeah so just uh you're trying to live up to the expectations or not live up to expectations yeah so for example uh there were trips when like during the trip I knew that there was a move I couldn't do like I couldn't physically climb up and I knew that like if I if I voiced it out no one would be mean about like no one was going to be negative about it but there's a part of me that was like so I I don't want to voice it out (laughs) until like I'm at like my limits because I felt like maybe it's lack of confidence maybe it's the part that just doesn't want to emphasize the fact that I wasn't good even more so uh, there's an incident I, remember, I think it was in Wales on that day for some reason like I've only gone caving in Wales once and apparently all the other all the other times the, the caves were always dry but um, to my luck the one time I went it was like the water was really high and I was trying to stay up and I had my hand against the wall keeping me up and at some point like I just physically my arms were just like I could not move them like they couldn't hold me up anymore I don't I think it was Nathan there and he was like I can help you up and I'm like no 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 no. hold on like I can do it and we stayed there for like a few minutes I could have just said like can you help me and he wouldn't have said anything but there's a part of me that's like I can't show the fact that I cannot pull myself up so yeah it's ego and it's probably insecurity but yeah yeah, thanks for the honesty and the uh, self-reflection. On a similar vein to what we've been talking about with Asaiba, um, would you say that you've ever felt limited by your own or perhaps other people's expectations of you when caving? No, I think I'm, I'm more like Asaiba in trying, trying desperately to be... Um, not to have help, um, not to be the person that I, I, I perceive needing help as being like the weakest link of the group. And so I don't want to be that person, even though I know that actually it's the very sharing of help and allowing each person to have the thing they can't do, be part of the group that makes for the whole group being a strong and vibrant and happy group. Um, so there are times when I say, no, don't help me. I can do it. Just wait. Um, when I almost shouldn't say that um, and ought to just accept the help because then we can move on quicker. But I so want to be able to do what everybody else can. And then every now and then I can't do what everybody else can because I'm actually shorter and not quite as strong as some people. So when they say bridge like this with your legs and I'm saying, I will just drop through the middle of me if I bridge this far apart because I've just not, by that point, I'm just so far apart. Or like, if you bridge like that, you'll be able to then go across and reach that hole. But actually bridging with two short legs, you sink lower and then that hold up there has disappeared from reach. And in the middle of a waterfall, that isn't clever. And so there are times when I ought to say quicker, this isn't going to work you're going to have to work out a different way of helping me, like give me a leg up or something. So I'm 
I was going to say I'm holding back the group by being determinedly independent ego again. You say, I mean, but but on the other hand, it's to do with being nearer the bottom end of the group in terms of capabilities. So, yeah, I'm trying to, to not be even further down the bottom end of the heap. And the thing when you were asking about confidence earlier, I'm aware that what holds me back is just an older person, and I'm going to use those phrases, an older person's concern about having some kind of moderate little injury, like particularly to my knees, that then would hold me out of caving for a length of time and then getting the fitness level back to being up for things would take longer and be further. And so I, am, I know that, that I have a, an area of caution there that some people don't have because I don't want to take those risks. I'm happy to take silly risks with my life. I mean, not truly, but you know, it's just one where I can see that it, if I bent these knees too far, I might really just have the silly kind of thing that would keep me out for a couple of months and I don't need to. So I'm cautious around there. I don't think other people's expectations are limiting me. Um, it, I would say that sometimes I think they're quite wise in saying I can't do something. <laughs> um, that I haven't got the the running stamina to keep going and doing a full day at full out. I can do the moves, but I probably could not do that level of exercise, which is what it amounts to, at that level of effort for a full day. So I remember the one time I went caving with you, Judith, um, me and a few other people, we split off. Short drop. In short drop, yes. And when we came back, um, you were asking another member to uh, stand on, I think, your shoulder or something. Yes. And I know the, the my first reaction was, oh, no, Judith, like, don't do that. Like, I'll come and she can stand on my shoulders. And then you know, reflecting on that, it's me putting my expectations of of you like into that situation without really asking. And yeah. you don't really have to respond to that situation specifically. Um, but I know that this happens to me as well. Like I go caving with young, big men and I say, just stand on my knee or stand on my shoulders. And they say, no, like, I can't do that to you. And I'm like, well, I know what I'm, I'm capable of. Yes. Um, but we're not you're not being held and neither was I being held back by it but I you're you're right we are being given a bit of cotton wool we don't need in a way um some of the offers for help to help me are bits of cotton wool I don't need and then every now and then I'll say yes and they'll like yank me in a direction that actually nearly pulls my arm out because they haven't thought about the science of which way you need the help and I'm just like you know you're lovely but slow down it's a good intention and then in the end those are what count most of all uh Naseba do you think in terms of like representation in caving like in the even the university clubs like there weren't very many cavers from like non-western backgrounds do you think that that like lack of representation was um, significant to you? Um, I mean, I was aware that there was, like, for example, no Arabs, and that, like, I, I think, and I could be wrong here, but from what I recall, 
either they knew like the uh, non-British person in the group. Obviously, they were like exchange students, but like I mean, like someone who was a student at uni. But I didn't. Probably out of all the other um, groups, whether they're like um, in class, which is normal like uni classes, or in other societies, I didn't feel that. Even though there wasn't like physical representation, but there was just respect. For example, I've been in situations where, like, with other groups outside of Tabor's, where there was pressure to drink. There was like, oh, come on and stuff, like, in, in, a, in a way that was more, I wouldn't say impolite, because again, I, I'm very calm about these things, but it was just like pushing someone to do something. And it was a complete opposite when it comes to um, uh, the caving club. It's really nice to hear how you felt about being in uh, that caving club and how supportive they were. Yeah, it's it's one of the reasons that I keep coming back caving. I just love the community so much. Everyone's so friendly and, you know, always happy to help. Yeah. And It's really impressive that they've maintained that because I didn't find, like generally just the entire vibe, I didn't find it in any other subgroup, like in uni genuinely like, and other than just being really lovely to the end but also very impressive that they maintain that uh so i've got another question for you now judith what would you say some of the biggest challenges or barriers are that you've faced uh while caving the the, the biggest challenge to me is learning like all the srt procedures just so that they become second nature so that somebody could talk say something that isn't to do with think two cows tails all the time um but and i could just do that everything i haven't got those no i'm getting those patterns it takes longer because i am older and i know that i don't learn new patterns as quickly so we're wondering, do you have a favourite caving memory? And could you tell us about that? Uh, a caving memory, not what I'm proud of. Because you did put that one in as what was my, what was I proud of as one of the questions. And I'm like, that's what I'm proud of. Um, I, you can be, answer them both at the same time. It could time, be the same thing, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Nadia will remember that when we went down short drop, I, I didn't do SRT like because I actually I'd been confused by the first time I did it. I had one kind of descender. The second time I was made made to learn, it was the opposite descender, and I got like I don't know understand what these how these work because I've got the two systems muddled in my mind. Don't don't take me near it. I'm really scared. Um, so. And then almost immediately we hit lockdown. And so as the day came that we could go out again and there was all this concern about um, locals not wanting people to be coming into their areas from outside. Um, so it was under the cover of darkness. We went to Eamdale um, to do the Karlswark Eamdale shaft and I could practice going down for my first time. <sighs> SRT down. Okay, so under the cover of darkness, we parked the van, we grabbed the stuff, we got up there, you know, really, really doing under the cover and keeping hidden. And he set it up and he encouraged me and take it calmly. And now you remember what you're doing. And yes, I do. 
and I set off down and there's a, a squeeze about halfway down where it's really difficult to do your descending because there's virtually no room and you're sort of like, like that. And I got past that and I was descending again and I thought I'd just look to see how much further I'd got to go. And down near my feet was the nice figure of eight knot and another three metres below me was the bottom of the shaft. And um, Tim, Tim, I've come to the bottom of the rope. And this sort of like clunk silence above me while he thinks what to say and how to respond. And I muster all my calmness to, well, I'm safe. I've stopped in time and there is a nice knot at the bottom. And, and he then sort of says cautiously, do you think you could climb down from there if I if get off the rope? And I looked down and I looked and I thought, I'd much rather not climb down. I might just be able to, but I'd much rather not practice and try. Oh, again, sort of silence while he thinks what to do. And then he very, very, very systematically talked me through doing a changeover where he couldn't see what I was doing because of this squeeze high above me. So he had to give me an instruction. I had to repeat the instruction, then carry it out and then explain back to him what I had done so he could check that I had done what he had told me to do before we did the next bit. And we very, very cautiously and carefully proceeded with getting me to do my first ever changeover on my own at the bottom of a piece of string um, when I had never done any of this before. So this was my first proper trip and um, I was doing a changeover and I did it. And then I had to go back up through this squeeze, which is really squeezy so that I had to be being told with him saying, you know, I can tell that you have made a quarter of an inch. You know, I can see, keep going. You're doing brilliantly. Another quarter of an inch. And it really taught me about how much perseverance and the tiniest of little increments all add up. And they do add up. And they did add up. And I got up and out of the shaft. And it took us probably about an hour and a half to do the whole procedure, but we did it completely successfully. And we then walked round to the other entrance of the cave and went in at Karlsbach's gin entrance and did the round trip. And it was very nice and it was just a tourist trip. But um, it was a real challenge and a real success story for both of us to be able to take the instructions and not flap and be able to convert them into the correct moves at the correct time and get back up again. And I'm just like so proud of both of us <laughs> for doing that. Um, for my first trip, first SRT proper trip. That's really an amazing story. And yeah, I mean, that's the way it is in caving a lot of the time is that unexpected things happen and then you have to do everything you can to get out of those situations safely. And it sounds like you and Tim really managed to do that, which is. It was, it was, it was just brilliant and lovely. And what you were saying, Naseeba, about how you are so aware of what, well, and you, Gwen, about the community that happens within caving groups. It is that 
going close to being scared that helps to make everybody bond together, that you're living a sort of adrenaline level that pulls everybody. It's, it is, it's a wonderful experience. So yeah, um, that, that's my happy best memory, I think of, uh, I mean, there are loads of other bits that I've done that I could say, oh, that was a lovely one. And that was, cause like going down knots too, the, which is all, grotty scaffolding bars and bits of old aluminium um, ladder you know you look at it and you think ah eh, that's bleh, that would be horrible but actually it's so great fun and then you get through to lovely caves as well super I couldn't I mean what I find is I am anxious every first time down a cave because I don't know what it's going to demand of me and whether I'm actually going to be able to to meet those challenges so I always want to do them two times because the second time I can then really enjoy it and go with it and know that I will be up for it well I hope goodness after this another lockdown I will have the same bite and ability but yes um that's that's my one personal internal challenge that keeps coming up is I don't know whether I'll be able to whether I'll still have enough energy enough heat if I haven't got cold, to be able to do this whole trip. Um, and then once I know I can, yeah, I'd love to do it again, please. More again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's something that I should do more often as well, because I will often do a trip and, you know, something will happen that will stress me out or make me anxious. And then forever in my mind, that will be a bad trip. So uh, now we're going to ask you the same question, Nasiba. So um, do you have any favourite caving memories that you want to speak about? I remember, I think it was the first trip. Um, we were, I, I cannot remember any of the caves' names, just a heads up. <laughs> They're all just like blanks in my head. But I remember the third cave, when we were coming out, there was a waterfall and it, it was just, this is going to sound so cliche, but it genuinely, like, it felt so magical. Like, I, the whole scene, the, in, like, it was really dark. And then there was, like, the sun was coming down just from that little spot and the waterfall. And, yeah, that's just so ingrained in my brain. I hear Judith talking about being terrified on a, a rope in her case. And I know that that is something you struggled with, Nasiba. I know in training, when you first got on a rope, being a few meters up and having to close your eyes so you didn't have to um, to see the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to um, talk about how you managed uh, with your fear and how you got better at uh, SRT? It took a lot of time. Um, I tried going bouldering as much as possible and looking down, even though I wanted to cry as I was doing it. Because once I reached the top, I just looked down and I started panicking and panicking and panicking and panicking until like I like stabilized. And I feel like I did that enough times that I just became more like capable of like stabilizing. Like I, I can't like the first response in my body is just panic at anything. But I feel like I learned how to control it. But um, it took a few tries. I remember, again, can't remember the cave name. There was a trip and I, I just remember looking down 
and it was complete darkness <laughs> so it wasn't just a fear of heights it was just fear of like unknown heights and just everything I don't know how 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 steep this is I have no clue and I just had to dissociate honestly like the main thing is I either tried to calm myself down like because the moment I think about it the moment I I acknowledge that I have no clue how low this will go or like how like how deep this is or if, if I'm somewhere high like when I'm doing HRT what will happen if I fall I just I just can't that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here in a is because I've seen like the fear in your eyes when you're doing these things and it's like really admirable that you didn't give up when you know just being two meters off the ground in a training facility was like terrifying to you you still carried on and went underground and like I mean I don't know how big of, of pitches you've done but considerable sized pitches probably not that big <laughs> to me it's what I would I don't like I can't quite remember what trips we've done together but um I definitely pushing what what your limits are for your for yourself you've worked pretty hard and I find that really impressive and inspiring Thank you. Um, are there any moments that you are particularly proud of in your caving experience? It wasn't like a specific moment, but at some point, it like my initial response, like my overwhelming like feeling wasn't just fight or flight response. Like when that stopped, when I was like, okay, I'm good, I'm still scared of like a good chunk of it. But the moment I started to like enjoy it and actually see things and not just think, okay, how can I fast track this? <laughs> it wasn't like an aha moment. It was more of, I don't know how to say that. Like a but gradual. It was more... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad um, you were able to start enjoying some of your time underground. <laughs> so I'm going to pass on over back to Judith. So uh, Judith, You've done a lot of caving in the last year or so. And uh, what motivates you to keep caving? Oh, I just, uh, you, you're asking me about a love affair. How can I <laughs> reduce a love affair to a few words? Um, what I really, really love is the fact that it is a 3D challenge the whole time. That, And I'm comparing this with climbing where... I thought it was wonderful when I first started climbing because I could see it as a, a puzzle, a challenge, but it's only 2D. You're only going up and you're only really using, I was going to say, the flat of your body. But what I love with caving is that I come to a challenge and I'm permitted to use every bit of my body in whatever creative way I can use it to help me up or down. And so, you know, Somebody else will go in one way down a set of boulders and I'll look and think going forwards like that just will not work. But go sideways and semi chimney down with an extra foot using that tiniest of little edges there and something there. And I can get down with so much more control than if I went the way this person who's got spider legs has just stepped down. Um, that for me is such a yes a personal success and a personal delight that I have maximized my 
abilities and my body to doing it at the most economic and energy saving way down with lower risk you know that's what makes me again and again think this is great that's so that's the so like internal way of enjoying it to do with enjoying this mental puzzle and physical puzzle and using my body and then there is the enjoyment of doing it as a group because I'm and again comparing it with climbing you know it's your own little personal challenge and that's lovely in one way but actually doing it as part of a group with people saying well you could try that bit of rock over there for your toe or you know did you use your you could use your elbows it's lovely being enthused and encouraged by a group rather than being just on your own or being able to offer the suggestions the other way. So that's that's a lovely aspect of the humanity and the group being more. And when I say, you know, there's a bit of me that doesn't want to be the weakest link and I'm grateful that actually I have skills and strengths that other people haven't got or the other way around so that there isn't one person that really is the weakest link. It's a, a continuous thing where we're all giving in different times, different amounts of input, and and we get something that's that's so much stronger. So it's wonderful being part of that. And then there are things to see that I will never see above ground that are marvels. I mean, we went down Peak Cavern and there's a great big phreatic tube that's got ribs going all the way around it. And I suddenly was like, I think that whoever wrote the story in the Bible of Jonah and the whale, some person has described going down a cavern like that with water and it was wet. And it it converts like a folktale to being a whale's inside, but that's actually the image that was there. And it was so perfect and enormous, the the size of a room as a great big long tunnel of ribs going on and it's wonderful and I loved the the seeing because I sort of seen other times when I'm in seeing all sorts of limestone flows and thinking god all those um wonderful stonemasons and wood people working in cathedrals must have seen some of these and that that informed their glorying of god in one way or another and for me that is another lovely I mean I might be completely not true but I think it is that people had seen things like that when they started carving wonderful um, fluted curves inside cathedrals that yeah it's just wonderful what there is in the natural world and I can understand that they felt a wish to replicate it for other people who hadn't seen couldn't ever go and see it yeah a really nice answer because uh when I'm caving I often need to stop and pause and just think wow I'm so privileged and lucky that I can get this experience because so many people uh you know never get the opportunity to see the things that we see uh, and even those who might want to you know don't get the option to either so yeah we're very lucky yes and there are such lovely marvels we brought you the two together because neither of you are what we typically think of as people who start caving and you know it's not all about 
celebrating the people who go on and go into expedition and do like 24 hour trips like that doesn't (laughs) (laughs) doesn't have to be um you know what we talk about when we talk about caving and achievements like just to conclude do you have any advice for people wanting to get into caving um as far as i can see that the only thing about any of these things is follow up any lead that happens to just go past the edge of your life don't let occasional somebody's remark about they going caving go past jump on them and pester them um particularly if you like the person um and so you will feel comfortable with them if they say yes on your first trip because um that will make it more likely to be an easy one and they will be more sympathetic probably to any anxieties you may have but really it's just pester people if you hear that they go caving um i have any admiration for anybody who can do a cold call to a a caving club and just say i want to cave or there is always the opportunity to look at caving crew facebook page and um see what we're doing because we really, really, really aim at lowering the bar to whatever level you want that bar to be lowered to. So, you know, you're scared of spiders, that's fine. You're scared of small spaces, that's fine. We can find you a place that isn't small. Um, if you're scared of the dark, we'll make sure that there are a couple of people behind you so they give lots of light because we've had that. And so it sort of stops it being scary. So we're always trying to pick up on what holds people back and mitigate them until they discover, actually, they're not very important, these fears. I mean, you know, somebody came really worried about critical welly depth. What? Well, luckily we have a cave where we can start by it being that it doesn't go over your wellies. And then if you walk fast, by mistake, it will sloop over. And so we take them at that sort of level of, you know, and by the end of three lots of puddles where their wellies are filled, we can now start confronting the next anxiety, which is that the roof might be a little bit lower than their head. So they're going to have to bend a bit. And by easing anybody through at that level, um, you can get so that everybody comes out of their first trip absolutely high on hilarity of having wallowed in mud yeah find people who are kind and gentle and willing to listen to your anxieties and come along caving is great it's a lovely answer (laughs) and what about you nasaiva uh do you have any advice for people wanting to get into caving i think the same as judith honestly and especially when it comes to like finding a good supportive group and also just don't look it up before you go. Just have zero expectations because I've never watched any of the caving videos before I went caving. And I feel like that alone, even if I wasn't scared of the video and like how like those extreme caves and stuff, I feel like you'd have, like you start making excuses as to why you wouldn't want to do it and all the ways it could go wrong. So just ha- don't look it up. Just don't have any expectations and go for it. I think that's a good answer as well. Um, I think also sometimes not to listen too much to what uh, cavers are talking about in huts because sometimes they'll talk all about these horror stories and you know you don't think that 
these stories that get repeated are like the 1% trips, probably fewer than 1%, but they're always the ones that are repeated and it, it always sounds a bit scary and daunting. Yeah. Do you guys have any questions for each other? I'm honestly just really impressed by Judith, honestly. It's not a question, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, equally, I mean, I, a mutual appreciation society. Um, I agree that I think it's amazing that you, without feeling comfortable in the outdoor world, just went for it and kept on determinedly doing it and and facing whatever came your way with, um, well, fear, trepidation and success, clearly, because you went on and did more and more. And the question is, are you going to have the opportunity either at home or are you coming back to England so you can do some more? I hope that it's not a dead hobby. <laughs> I'd love to do it again. I It's, it's been a bit of possible in Saudi right now just because of um, COVID. I connected with some people, but so far they seem to be unfortunately mainly guys. The one time I found a person who was like a friend of a friend who knew the group and I was like, oh yeah, I know some people. And then he looked at me and he was like, but they're all guys. I don't feel like you should go. And I'm like, I think I'm okay. Like I can just go. Tricky. Yeah, but tricky. Well, Thank you both for joining us today. We've really enjoyed speaking to you uh, and hopefully you've enjoyed uh, speaking to us and meeting each other as well. Very good. And thank you both for even thinking of us. Or yes, thank of you. Me. Thank you again to our amazing guests. After we finished recording, we stayed online and chatted and we remembered how Naseba had to hide her new hobby from her parents back home because caving was such an extreme sounding hobby. Naseba talked a lot about how she had to spend a lot of time at the library during her degree. I think this speaks to where Naseba's journey with caving started from. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Underground Ramblings. We will see you next time.